Hey, it's Brian. Looking for your dream job in the sport industry? Have you ever imagined yourself as an athletics administrator, a game day event coordinator, or perhaps a general manager? You can be an all-star in any organization with a degree from East Stroudsburg University's COSMA accredited sport management program. Earn your undergraduate and graduate degrees with guidance from our experienced faculty, gain hands-on skills, meet industry professionals, and become part of a winning team. ESU has the only COSMA accredited graduate program in Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. For more information, visit esu.edu slash smgt. One more time, esu.edu slash smgt. East Stroudsburg University, where warriors belong. Ooh, I like that. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkinSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. What would you do if someone asked you to build a new pro sports brand from the ground up and build a new stadium in Los Angeles? Your budget is $350 million, go. Me? I'd probably roll up in the fetal position and cry myself to sleep. This is a massive undertaking. Wrong steps have enormous ramifications, and I'm known for my wrong steps. It's part of my charm. You can't do over a brand. It is a living, breathing thing that gets established and takes on a life of its own through the local community and sports ecosystem. You can't wing it on a stadium build. There are layers and layers of decisions that will have an impact felt for decades. Benny Tran, EVP of Corporate Strategy and Operations for LAFC, is the mind behind these monumentally important aspects I've outlined for you. When you hear Benny explain it, as you are about to, it seems like a calm walk in the park. He is so even-keeled, methodical, pragmatic, but also gives off this vibe like he has his arms around everything just fine. Me, I feel like I'm constantly sticking my fingers in holes. Benny just has this different air about him. Can you tell I admire this guy? Because I do. Maybe it's because in his life prior to sports, he worked on global initiatives like HIV and AIDS treatment in Southeast Asia, national health strategies, and climate action. When you have your hands in issues of this magnitude, I mean, what's getting the stadium built, right? Just another fun challenge to take on. There's a lot of depth and meaning in this conversation you're about to listen to. We handle business intelligence, facility management, brand identity, community involvement, the importance of daily workers, and more. Here's Benny Tran. Buckle up. Hey, Benny. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well, and this is an exciting conversation. We're going to get into some meaty topics here, so I'm really glad that you could join me. Um, you were an undergrad at Emory, majoring in Middle Eastern Studies and Arabic you have your MPA in public policy from Princeton. You spent over a decade with the Clinton Foundation working on climate initiatives and the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Anything has been in reach for you throughout your career. You might not say that. I'll say that. Anything is within reach for you. Why sports? Why did you decide to make this move away from more of that side into the sports industry? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I, you know, I was very fortunate to get into that industry early. Um, before that, I was a management consultant. And as you know about management consulting, it's the, you know, solve every problem, become an expert in two days, 
advise a client. But my dream was always be to be, you know, do something international. And that's why I actually studied Arabic in high school, studied Arabic in college, lived in Egypt twice, um, and then did a Fulbright in Vietnam. And, and that kind of really led me to wanting to be, um, to lead an international career. And at that time, I wanted to be a, 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 a um, State Department official. Uh, or, and then I, I kind of refined it to be, you know, let's work in international development. And some people conflate international development with nonprofit or foundation work, but it's it's a lot of the good work that people do around the world to really help developing countries and disadvantaged populations at a much severe, um, uh, you know, severe degree than to say here in the United States. Not not saying that there's no pro no issues in the United States that need to be solved. Um, so you know, I did management consulting as a stopgap when I came back to Washington D.C. with the goal of really achieving and trying to get to grad school because that's really a step that you need to take. And it's not too dissimilar from sports in a certain way, but you have to really get that graduate degree at a top institution to really kind of launch to your career. So I did that. I got to the Clinton Foundation, an amazing organization. We were uh, small, nimble, quick, um, and a very different kind of culture and approach to business because our leaders are actually from the top consulting firms, BCG, McKinsey, um, and that's how we operated. And, and also supplemented by um, and complemented by experts say we were for public health. We definitely had public health officials that were that were working alongside us, but it was that the, the different approach of the Clinton Foundation that kind of really got us going. Um, and I was very lucky to be appointed at a very young age to be the country director of Vietnam at 28. Uh, and then that's the kind of the way that uh, they work and also, you know, how Bill Clinton operating his administration, young people, smart, let's go. And by the time I reached 35, and I was there for about, uh, you know, um, yeah, a total of almost 10 years, but, so, you know, I became regional deputy regional director of Southeast Asia. And it was kind of interesting because at some point you reach a pinnacle of, uh, of that career space. And look, there's a lot of growth, but I felt like I reached a pinnacle of what I wanted to do in that space and really wanted to switch back to business. Um, and so, you know, at that point in time, I'll be honest with you, my, my four-way to sports is kind of by luck. So during that time, um, Henry Nguyen, who's also the founding owner of LAFC, <clears throat> he gathered a bunch of friends in Vietnam and said, hey, how, hey, can you guys like help me like start a basketball team in Vietnam? <laughs> I don't really? think this is actually, yeah, I don't think this is actually on my LinkedIn, but I'm like, okay. Sure. Like, hey. And and, and it, as a part-time job for all of us, he yeah. wanted us to help him start the Saigon Heat as part of the ASEAN Basketball League. This is an association of Southeast Asian nations. Yeah. And so we put our heads together, and next thing you know, I forgot how long it took, like six months or a year or something, we started a basketball team in, in Ho Chi Minh City. That's crazy. Um, and the branding, the team, uh, the players, uh, the cheerleaders. Uh, yeah. And we, we, Brought, brought fans. We taught fans how to cheer for at a basketball game in Vietnam. <laughs> and uh, and funny enough, I became the um, you know the the color man for the uh, on TV for ESPN Southeast Asia. And you Fox jumped right Southeast in. Asia. I love it. I, yeah, I mean, it was lucky because like, hey, you speak English, you play basketball, you know the game. Let's kind of jump in. So it was kind of my first foray into sports, but I really didn't think about it as a foray into sports. It was a fun project to be a part of because yeah. I've always been a sports nut. Um, 
And so that happened and it was a fun project. And when I reached a, a certain point in my career with the foundation, um, and it was a very interesting, rewarding and, and tough um, uh, period of my life, but you know, it was great. I decided to uh, move back to the United States and um, for a lot of career uh, reasons. Yeah. Um, and I moved back to San Francisco. I was looking for a job in the tech industry. And then all of a sudden, Henry calls me and says, hey, I might, I might, I'm applying to buy for a team. Uh, it's <laughs> LAFC. Uh, it's an LA team, the second team in MLS. Yeah. And he's like, look, we need to do a couple things in the organization, build the brand, uh, build a team, build an organization, and then we need to build a stadium. So what a better experience to further my business career development than to do that. Um, and then I showed up in SoCal for the first time in my life. Um, in, uh, I think it was November, at, right after the announcement. First time in Southern California. Interviewed for the job and it's like, hey, love to have you come join us. What do you want to do? And I said, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take, uh, let's see what it means to take on this job and uh, let's build a stadium. So I arrived a month later, December 1st of 2014, and there goes the start of my official sports career. Um, and I've been with the team ever since. It's amazing. So the timeline at October 30th, 2014, MLS awards the new expansion club to LAFC after Chivas USA dissolved, right? And then within a month, you're hired in December. Early on, now I've talked to a lot of people that have, and I've interviewed a lot of people that have started with an expansion team or have started with a new league or whatever. Early on, there's so much to do. There's so much. How does it, I mean, it's got to feel like trying to boil the ocean. How do you start to even prioritize and focus and put things in perspective when you have such a big task in front of you? You just try to, you try to your best to prioritize what needs to get done. Um, and it's part of, part of the expansion was to, a requirement was to build the stadium. And yeah. that was a priority number one. Um, and, and we were on a timeline. And initially, actually, we were slated to open in 17 versus 18. Uh, so that's when I landed. When I landed on December 1st, the morning of, I took a flight from San Francisco. It was a 6 o'clock flight. I landed at 8. And I went straight to the offices to negotiate, start negotiating with the team um, the lease deal of the property that we're, we're at. Um, yeah. So you, you kind of just prioritize what needs to get done. That was priority number one. Priority number two was building the brand. You had yeah. to start building a fan base and the brand itself, even when you didn't have a brand, right? So it was a very interesting way of um, really approaching it. But we knew that we had to build a fan base. We had a loose idea of what the brand would be or is. And it was a vision that was set by senior management at the time and the founding yeah. owners. Um, and then you start going and you start mapping out what needs to get done. So what's interesting about sports is that um, you have – firm deadlines of when you need to launch a team or we need to launch a building because you either going to hit this date and you're going to open up or you don't. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you walk backwards from there and then we start building the different pieces of the club together. So definitely I was number five at the club. Then we brought in our head of marketing, um, you know, right after me, Richard Roscoe, an amazing gentleman. If you haven't met him, then we brought in the head of supporters. Mm, we knew okay. that supporters and supporter culture was important to us. That was a hire after that. Patrick Avila, he's still with us today. And then yeah. we started building it from there. So in parallel, we knew that we had to lock in our logo, lock in our colors. I built the brand, built the fan base, build a stadium, and meanwhile, build an organization. So that's how we prioritized it, and that's how we approached it. And 
and you know of course along the way for the building you got the architects the construction yeah. guys you make it sound so them. simple <laughs> it's, it's pretty complex <laughs> it's yeah no it's fun you know uh and the yeah. marketing side you just start to go to that side and you got to think about sales and then ticket yeah. sales and then building a fan base to actually sign up for your team like years in advance and then we just peppered and obviously you know a lot of us came from sports but a lot of us didn't come from sports yeah and i think this is a really interesting element for me I viewed it as a social experiment, right? Mm. Because it's an emotional product they're trying to sell. And we had no product. We had no coach, no players. We had right. an idea. So how do you actually start that? And and, um, and it was very interesting. So we did even design sessions that we can talk about later, early yeah. on, enrolling fans. And the challenge in front of us was that there's 11 other sports, professional sports teams in LA. The two NFL teams were coming. Mm-hmm. And how do you – and then the, the Galaxy were here. Five championships. New SoFi Stadium that's going to be, in a way, competition. you got a lot to look at. Yeah. So, yeah, we took that on. Um, I knew we had a couple principled ideas of how to approach these things. And so that's that's how we first launched. So I was reading through some of the stats for Bank of California Stadium. And I found myself, because I am admittedly a dork in this stuff, I found myself like thinking, oh, that's super cool. Oh, that's a really neat idea. I mean, every seat within 135 feet of the pitch, it's an LED silver certified stadium, over 1,800 full-time jobs created. As you consider now that the stadium is built, everything's where it needs to be, um, and you look back at that accomplishment, what are you most proud of? What do you look at and say, man, I'm really glad we pushed for that. I'm glad that happened. You know, I think the the, the, the proudest mo- the proudest thing about it's not just a physical thing. It's really kind of seeing the joy and happiness that people experience when they come to our stadium. Yeah, and the smiles on it, their faces. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, our building is pre-democratized, and what I mean by that is that we we didn't know we didn't know a lot, and um, we didn't know what we could do for everyone. And usually, even when it came to marketing, right, we're talking about, oh, mar- you know, targeted marketing. Should we do this? Should we do that for this thing, that segment? And, you know, Rich pushed back. like, no, let's see how we, what we can do and kept, kept riding it. And it kind of bled into the building. You need premium because it holds a lot of your revenue for the stadium. Yeah. But then we also have $20, $22 tickets for supporters. And you look throughout the stadium, there's varying price points. Not many people can really achieve that. But in that, that design, it kind of led into that as part of our economic model. And that's where you have a diversity of people by color, socioeconomic status, whatever it may be. And when everybody comes together to celebrate the idea of LAFC, not as a team on the field, but as a, as, as a community, uh, is really the strength of, of what we think is the power of our organization and the happiness and joy that comes with that. So that's really kind of the, a huge element of, of what I think is the proudest moment of opening day and as it continues to be and how we deliver the best experience for our fans. Is that something that we don't talk about enough in sports is the positive local impact? Because, I mean, you go through the list and the jobs that are created and the opening to the environment for everyone of all diverse cultures to be able to come and be a part of a, you know, it's it's a, it's just a meritocracy in a way. It's just like everybody can be there and it's like the play, the best teams win and, and it's based on accomplishment. It's just this, this great environment. Is that something we just miss out on and we don't talk enough when we talk about sports and the, the impact of sports business is just the, the positive effect it has on a local community? Yeah, I think, I mean, even today's world, uh, during you know this pandemic, I think you'll see a transition with our partners, sponsorship partners, 
there is a shift of community. We just put it at the forefront of everything that we did. Um, I think part of it was my background, right? It's 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 natural for me to help the local um, community. And our stadium is in the middle of South LA, formerly known as South Central. Uh, we put it as a pillar to support the community and our commitments to the community. So whether it be our commitment for uh, local hiring for our project or 40% local hiring commitment, 35% maybe we be contracts, which is minority, woman-owned, veteran-owned, disabled-owned businesses. Um, and even if you look, if you ever have a chance to come to our stadium, I'll show you the elements of our building that we thought about where we needed to engage the community. We didn't want to turn our backs to them. We kept our corners open. We kept our gates open. So when you actually walk up at human scale, people in the neighborhood can see the green grass. And those are the things that we th thought about. Um, and, and among all other commitments for our community, and we continue to do a lot of good work in the community now. Uh, and, and it's really a core pillar of ours, regardless of what it is. Um, and I think that's important. I think that's important for everyone. And I think it's a very powerful um, element of, of a successful sports business is really engaging a local community. It's not about maximizing revenue. You win their people's hearts before they win their wallets. And I think that'll come. And I think that's the power of their community and our brand uh, and how we really approach the work in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a complicated place and a complex place. But when we have something like this and brings people together, it's it's great. Let's lean into this idea a little bit. So at LSFC, you guys talked about listening to the fans. You've talked about it now and how important that is. And you hosted community design workshops with the fans. And it, it really looks to be a human-centered design approach. What did this mean? What was this? What was your approach? And why was that important for you guys to go about it in that way? It's about enrolling people uh, as part of a journey. Um, and we're lucky enough to start fresh with a new organization, a new stadium, a new everything, a new supporter group. And we thought it was it's it's the power of the people, and whether 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 they be you know potential street buyers or they would be supporters or they would be people sitting in section two hundred eight versus one ten, we wanted to gather as many people as possible to get their ideas of what they wanted to to co build and co create with us. Um, and look, we're not the smartest people in the world. You have to use human centered design, empathy. Um, to really understand what people need and want. So we talked about fan journey, and we wanted to understand. I didn't know anything about Los Angeles. People here know a lot about Los Angeles. Yeah. So I, we wanted to listen and understand. And even our local staff who are from Los Angeles, there's a lot of perspectives you don't hear about or know about or learn about. So we made it a point to make sure that we enrolled them in almost every single step of the process and, and use human-centered design as a methodology to approach that. And I thought it was a very powerful tool. I've used it before. I come yeah. from a business of empathy and trying to work with people to change human behavior. And that's a key, right? Sports, we're selling an emotional product. An emotional product is not just the product on the field. And one principal item is that we wanted to make sure that we want to protect ourselves from the downside of losing. And as you know, in sports, it's like, well, if we win, great. If we lose, okay. No, yeah. that's not what we wanted to approach our business and how we actually build our community um, and really add value to the community itself. Yeah, it's so much about the overall experience and that connectivity, right? So if the fans feel like they go to a game, they know they're going to have a good time no matter what, win, loss, whatever, and they're going to feel connected to those other people amongst their community. That's a really powerful message that can be accomplished there. That's something that everybody should aim for. I've talked to so many people in sales that are not like, we're not selling wins and losses. We're selling experience. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an important distinction. And that community value that you're bringing into it too is, 
is so important. Um, I read a, a quote from the owner and executive chairman of LAFC, Peter Guber. He told the LA Times a few years back, when you build an organization, you build a culture and culture is your business plan. I spent a lot of time thinking about that, like just pondering it in my head. But what does that mean to you that culture is your business plan? I think culture is the heart of your business plan. I mean, you can try to optimize revenue all you want, but I think that's the foundation of how we approach our business. Um, first, it's internal culture, and then there's external culture, right? How you externalize your culture. Um, internally, look, we were five, six people sitting around to 10 people per year trying to figure out how to build a club and a stadium. Um, and everyone's willing to chip in. Um, everyone was pretty humble of how they approached it. Um, and then we grew from there. And everyone, it, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of sleepless nights. And everyone's playing multiple roles. And when you work in a startup, um, it, that happens. But for us, we're just crossing lanes and um, possibly sometimes driving drunk a little bit across those lanes. But um, it was really important for us to have that kind of centered in a mission that we wanted to achieve. And it was like, building it for the community and the people. Uh, and that's how we charge ahead with it. Um, and then when you talk about community that we have, that was our culture. We're building a community uh, and that has to be consistent and how we extra, you know, communicated that to the city of Los Angeles with eight, 10 other sports, 10 and 11 other sports teams. The Dodgers were here, their legacy, yeah. the Lakers, you know, um, our culture, not about the product on the field or our player or our coach, went first and, and it was critical to um, everything that we did. So we talk about community experience and people that's culture. It's, it wasn't like anything else particular that's business or frigid or rigid. I love that, that idea of marrying the internal and external culture that the way you operate your business and the way you operate in the community go hand in hand. I think that's so important to know yeah. the pandemic is to, go ahead. Let, go me, ahead. let, yeah. let me note that um, and internally, and both externally, you're, you know, internally, your culture evolves, right? And as you get bigger, you go through the cycles of business and it's, it's not easy. And when externally too, it's it kind of conversation of our brand. It's brand is perception of your brand by the people when that evolves. So these things are really important to note um, as you grow and try to stabilize. And it's interesting because I think a lot of conversation professionals in the sports industry, well, you build a building, you build a new team, then three years later, what do you do? But mm -hmm. for us, how do you continue to innovate and do different things to actually really make it interesting and also build on a more successful brand and community and so forth? And so we're just seeing this great trajectory. We're going to keep going. That's awesome. It's it's a living thing, right? It's a it's continu continually in flux, continually changing. And you have to adapt with it. I, I love that. Uh, so uh, the pandemic has affected sports in a lot of ways, right? We've talked about this a lot over the last year. I've talked with all kinds of different people as part of this podcast. One thing I don't think we talk about enough are the daily workers, uh, the parking attendants, the concession workers, culinary, hospitality, who depend on this game day experience to survive. Uh, how or what can we be doing better to support these staffers who are affected by the lack of game day events and, you know, the unknown of what's coming in the future? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important question. And when you talk about a place like Los Angeles where the service industry is huge, uh, our economy has taken a huge hit. Um, you know, during the time of the pandemic, we, we, we were very active in a lot of different ways. Um, we have assets on the freeway or digital boards, and we have a voice through our social media and, and through a lot of different channels, and it's unique. Um, and PSA is about signing up for the census, uh, encouraging voting. Uh, we have hosted over 20 uh, food drives 
Um, many of those were, were you know, offered to our part-time workers to come and collect food if they needed it. Um, and those are the things that you can, you know, we've been hoping to help. And we're ready to uh, get a lot of the COVID information, getting mm-hmm. testing, uh, supporting that testing at our site uh, run by, um, you know, the state of California and encouraging people to go testing. Vaccines are coming up and vaccine hesitancy uh, is huge among certain communities. And we want to make sure that everyone gets vaccinated so all of us reach a point where we can go return back to normal. Um, and especially jobs. I think that ho- luckily we're the last state, I think, we're getting fans back, but it's at limited capacity. There's great nonprofits out there like Working Nation that are distributing information about what's possible and what to, what to look for and information on, say, you know, the stimulus checks. These things are not easy to – they don't just show up, right? Right. Um, then how do we really communicate and help people other than direct employment or temporary relief uh, to get everyone back on their feet and get this economy back going again? Um, restaurant industry has been hit. So many restaurants have been closed. The food industry folks um, are in dire need of uh, what their future may be. We don't know. Um, you know, And the other things like guest services, parking attendants, hopefully mm-hmm. it will all come back. But it's not going to come back easily or quickly. Um, and so we just have to figure out different innovative ways to get information to either relief or potential opportunities that may come up. Um, but I, that's what I think that our role as sports yeah. industries with our megaphones can do. It's so true. And we love Working Nation. I've had Joan Lynch on the show twice and she's fabulous and, and is so caring and thoughtful about how they can help and make an impact. And I, it's nice to see that you guys are doing the same as well. We stress on the show, we have a lot of people in our audience who are young people thinking about getting into the sports industry. We stress on the show quite often that sports is an industry. It's not a job itself. You know, you don't just work in sports. It's their jobs that are very related to business, right? We talk finance, HR, all the different things in uh, corporate strategy, <laughs> development. There's so many things that happen outside of sports that happen inside of sports. How important mm-hmm. is it in your view for young people listening to really focus on business skills to be successful in sports. Those are those things that just translate so well, right? Certainly. It's kind of interesting because I, 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 I think I consider myself as new to the industry, but I've been six years deep. Um, but it's, it's a very untraditional background, as, as you can see. Um, I'm all about on the business side. There, there's a limit on the performance side, right? It's kind of like, yeah. who wants to be president one day? Great. Who wants to be GM one day? Great. Right. There's, there's there's changing winds of how that is being done, right? You have a lot of people, you have economists that are now co-GMs, like for yes. example, the Dodgers. That's very interesting. And the money ball. Well, now the business side is catching up. Um, it's changing. There's a lot of people coming from the industry, such as private equity firms and businesses coming to buy and business people moving into the industry. And so now, um, you know, uh, you see a lot of influx of folks coming from uh, the business side with business skills to work in the industry. And that's the core of everything that powers everything at a sports business. So it's very important to figure out the baseline uh, and have a foundation of business skills to come into um, sports now. It's not just about ticket sales and sponsorships. It's about data analytics, business intelligence, yep. understanding how to manage people, you know, things like that. And now we're trying to now we're entering the world of social media performance metrics, the world of NFTs, digital technology. You have to have the basics of business to or experience to get there. And 
look, I was part, I was in the humanities and we talked about human centered design. You yeah. have to understand people to sell them an emotional product. So don't forget about that element too. It's not all about business, business, business. Yeah. Understand, do your social science and the humanities mm-hmm. studies, but that's really a core uh, element of being successful. And I was lucky to have management consulting as a part of my training. And it's not all about business, it's all about multidisciplinary functions to actually understand something. And human-centered design is exactly that. And that would be my suggestion. How we get there is a whole different conversation. But yes, focus on business skills. If you if you want to do performance, it's great. There's limited slots. But on yeah. the business side, that's going to be a dominating force. If, it, if, if it's not in the... The you know the, the perceptions of people of what the sports business actually is, it's 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 here, um, and you see huge movements on that space and 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 how things are changing now in the sports industry. It's so true. I've talked to many people in hiring that keep saying over and over to me, they're like, the i the 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 trends we're seeing our business intelligence, revenue optimization, business analysts, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. That's what we need more of. And I love the idea that you're bringing up of almost marrying the idea of human behavior with business principles. And then that puts you in a spot where you can have that emotional and that logical kind of decision-making process, which is pretty exciting for, I hope everybody listening can, can glom onto that as well. So if you put yourself back in school and you were instead of thinking about going international and you were thinking more domestically and you were planning in school and you were thinking, I'm going to go into the sports industry and I want to lean into this concept of business intelligence, what would you focus on? Like, what would you come out of school and say, I have to know these things. These are things that I need to really make sure I understand and can do. And those are the things that are going to move the needle for me in my career. Are there certain things that you'd focus in on? Well, I'm biased because even though I went to school in public policy, people may not know that it's heavily uh, based on economics and statistics. So yeah. if you have a basic, comfortable uh, understanding, even as one or two classes in economics or statistics, I, it'll help you a lot. Because at least you know the way that grad school public policy works is that you're trained extensively on those things. You can read academic papers, right? Now, I don't think anyone, not everyone needs to read academic papers, but you need to know what R squared is. You need to understand how to set up a survey. And these were the, uh, the basic bones of, if you want to go into business intelligence, you can understand that and also study businesses, right? I think right. Uh, Harvard's approach to business cases, one of which we do have for the team, um, those are the good things to learn. That's how tech companies are, are, are started and grown um, and be practical at your approach and then get as many experiences as possible because that's, that's for me and myself personally, I wanted to make sure that I can survive uh, and be successful in any 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 vertical or any different kind yeah. of sectors possible, and I establish that foundation. And look, if you go to Kenya to learn how to build a water system for a village, or go to Hungary, or go to Paris and learn something, all of it is great and will be additive to your experience. Not just going down the line of I got a business degree, which is helpful, but I yeah. think people value diversity and experiences, and that'll be useful to you in the future. And that's going to be good for your application to your business school. I love that. I think it's so smart. I think we got to just get rooted in reality. I think the idea that so many people have of being on the player side of, you know, being a GM, being a scout, being a coach, it's like, like you said, that's limited. Like if you're really looking at it, like I want to lean into the side that where there's the greatest potential there, it's really mastering and understanding that business side and how it all functions together and to get that fine of point on it to think of economics and statistics. Cause again, even, even to your point, 
there are a lot of GMs that have in baseball and other sports that have economics and statistics backgrounds. So it's like you can mm-hmm. have both. You can have both with that education as well, which is really important to know. Let's talk tech a bit. Part of your responsibilities at LAFC, look to the future, right? Innovate, be creative in that way. I read where even back in 2017, you guys were doing virtual reality tours of the stadium before the stadium was built to go talk to potential corporate sponsors and walk them through what it could look like and see the environment for them, which I think is super cool. How essential is it to meet fans today where they are, which is with these massive tech like expectations, right? How important is it for you guys to stay on top of what's out there and what fans want in that regard? It's, it's very, that's a great question. Technology is critical. Um, and I'd have to say with our CTO, Christian Lau, um, and, you know, we parted early on to really look at the fan journey and the user journey of how people experience the stadium. You know, we both lived abroad quite a bit. So the use of the mobile phone uh, was very different from how you the U.S. use it, right? I'm talking about NFC was used in Europe ages ago, and then we just started using it a couple years ago. But we just took, we didn't even go innovate. Innovate is not about thinking of brand new ideas. It's taking mm-hmm. best practices around the world and making it apply to here. So from the beginning, we said, okay, technology has to be number one in the user journey, and the mobile phone has to be the center of it. And back and behind is all the data that we see that we can adjust to to make sure it's better for all people. So we're one of the first um, buildings to go well, I'm not sure if we're the first to go all NFC or Apple Pay, but we made sure that was available in every terminal. That's important now because yeah. now you have two years ago or a year ago, two years ago, 19, there are two buildings that went cashes. We were ready to go cash in 18. And now there's over 60 buildings that went cashes. Everyone has to make an investment. Um, no one believed that, you know, everyone thought, hey, you know, our, our population knows a lot of cash. We proved them wrong. Credit, yeah. Apple Pay. It just made that transaction faster. So either it's a fan experience that was great for fast transactions, or we needed to make the transactions faster because we're all about getting people through and get them out off out the concessions line, right? So that was one element of it. We went um, completely paperless with Ticketmaster. We did NFC ticketing. We're working with um, Clear on biometric. Right now it's Health Pass, but we did biomet. We're working on biometric payment, biometric ticketing. We're making the the complete experience for the fan frictionless <clears throat> and, and and optimizing their experience and also from an operation standpoint, make it easier for us as well. So it's critically important. I mean, our Wi-Fi is one of the fastest in sports as well. Everybody is here um, yeah. shooting content via different yeah. social media channels. So there's so many elements that tech is at the center of right now in our experience, and it will be in the future. And now that it's been – um, elevated and, and quickened by the pandemic, um, you're going to see now the whole sports industry changing overnight alongside with everything else that's happening in other sectors as well. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, the idea of going cashless and Apple Pay and all those different things was cool two years ago, and now it's a necessity, right? It's like, that's where we're, we have to go. Uh, and so to be, to be ahead of that is is so important and, and amazing that you guys were able to accomplish that. Um, with your previous roles involving climate and sustainability, something that I'm also very passionate about, was it important to you personally to have Bank of California Stadium on the cutting edge on the green technology side as well? And do you feel like you guys succeeded there? It was. I, I think that you know when you build a project this big, ours is three hundred seventy million. I know that other stadiums are cost in the billions. Um, I think sustainability has to be at the forefront of everything. We're in California, so it's kind of automatic in a sense. But at the same time, doesn't prevent. I mean, 
everyone should be thinking about it. And I would have to tell you the truth. I mean, look, we, we, we had a lot of great successes, but we had a lot of mistakes on the way. So I could we couldn't deploy everything that we wanted from a green perspective, but we did achieve lead gold. And I think that's, you know, there's only like one or two buildings that are platinum and then a handful of buildings that are gold. So our commitment was pretty high for that regard, um, but we could have done more. I even explored solar, thin solar panels on our, you know, thin plastic, you know, thin roof with a special plastic from Germany. Um, some more feasible, some weren't. We missed a couple items, but um, it's always on the forefront of, of how we think about things like recycling, a waste, um, what we can do in the future as well when it relates to sustainability. Um, and, and I think um, it's more important now than ever. Um, and, and we continue to strive to do our best with it. Benny, this has been an amazing conversation. We'll finish up with this. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for I, I, I want to know what game night is like for you. And I know it's different now. I want to go back. Let's just go back in time and pretend that none of this has happened. What's game night like for you? Because I read where you have quite a personality around the stadium. You're known as Stadium Benny. Uh, how important is it for you to be part of that community? Not just a EVP. Like, you are part of it all. Like, what is that like for you on game night? It's great. Um, it's great. It's great. To, like I said, great to see people's happiness. Uh, people enjoy their food, um, people coming to the gates quickly and being happy and getting, you know, they're just like really amped up. And it's interesting going back to when I first started this job, uh, you know, as I am a data geek as well, and I care about, you know, economics and all these weird, you know, behavioral economics things. Yeah. Um, my inspiration was actually the, a podcast about why Caesars Palace hired an economist from Harvard. And that ties in user experience with data and how to maximize yeah. revenue altogether. And when you look at that and how that applies to the user journey at the stadium, you have to think about all those things: like customer satisfaction. And look, we're not we're not there to like make money. Like you know, casinos have a very specific approach how to do this, right? Yeah. It's all about the you know the happiness index and then the revenue index and all of it coming together. So at at game days, I'm all over the place, right? Uh, I, I'm outside checking out parking to make sure our parking works. Then I stopped by uh, what we call family picnics. Our supporters, are, they, they are sprawled out in what we call Christmas shoe lane in the park, and they bring their own brew, brew, their beer, their barbecue. They're serving, these guys are serving free food to the security guards who are about to start their shift uh, in the stadium awesome. and enjoy that. It's amazing. And then I'm at the gates, making sure that people are flowing really fast at the gates. Then you go say hi to people and then check out the food, taste the food, make sure everything's working. Um, and then look at the data. We have this great you know, platform called Lava that gives us real-time data that I can actually adjust, move, and figure out how, how best to serve all the patrons in our building between parking, gates, uh, fast lines, food lines, and everything else, um, and making sure that everyone's happy. And I think that, that there's no better job than say, how do we make people happy, right? Um, yeah. And so that's what my game day looks like. And if we win, it's great. Then we have an after party, and then next next day you go back to work and try to improve on on your the work that you do um the good work that we do uh, at serving you know our fans and our community i like how you slipped in there that you have to taste the food too i mean you gotta you gotta do some quality assurance right you gotta oh, check things out make sure it's good and on point that's definitely for sure we've got an exciting food program coming out this uh coming year so yeah it's all awesome. great and exciting for sure it sounds awesome. I love the idea of just the, tracking the happiness metrics, too, and just being on top of that and understanding that that ties into revenue in the end. It's like it is a smart business decision, but really 
happiness culture first, everything else falls into place, which I think is such a great attitude. Benny, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a great conversation. Great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Brian. Cheers. Thank you to Benny for coming on the show. I hope my admiration for him really came through because I was Joan Lynch. And many of you have heard before on this podcast, she's an only two time guest, one of my favorite people in the sports industry and in just the careers community. Joan called me and said, you need to have Benny on the show. You just need to have Benny. And I was like, yep, right away. Didn't even question it. It was like, great, let's book it. And when I read his background and when I learned a little bit more about him and what he's accomplished, I was just in awe. Like I was just really looking forward to this conversation and he did not disappoint. Like he just brings so much knowledge and just this calm aura about him. I just... I love this guy. Really, really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. It's important to us to continue growing this show. In the coming weeks, I've had some really incredible, incredible interviews. Uh, I just finished interviewing Dr. Uh, Bill Sutton from University of South Florida and one of the most connected people in the industry. He's actually retired now, but he's one of the most connected people in the sports industry. A lot of you listening are probably thinking to yourself, oh yeah, I know Doc Sutton. Uh, This interview is amazing. And I also interviewed Zach Maridis, who is the CEO and founder of Teamworks, which is an athlete engagement platform. If you're a student athlete or a pro athlete, you probably have heard of Teamworks. It's an all-in-one platform. It's one of the coolest sports texting things that I've seen. And pro teams are using it. College programs are using it. Everybody's using it. And to hear Zach, who is a former offensive lineman at Duke, just to hear this guy going through his process, but also what motivates him and gets him fired up, I mean... This guy, you're going to listen to and be like, yo, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. All right. So uh, look forward to that. Look forward to publishing those. Look forward to having all of you continue to listen and learn. And uh, just thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. 